Okay, it's time to begin our worship service this morning. Uh, we're glad each of you are with us today, uh, especially uh, those that are visiting with us. We're glad to have you in our audience today. I also welcome those that are worshiping online. Uh, since COVID, we've kind of dropped the uh, card collection uh, for attendance, but this is something that, that's important, and we've, we've been lacking in having that, but if you would fill out an attendance card or, or check the attendance online on, uh, on your phone in the app. Uh, this is important to the elders uh, so we can keep up with who's here and who's not. Uh, if there's, for some reason you're not here for two or three weeks, you'll be getting a notification from you know, the elder that's in your group and this helps us to uh, do our job as shepherds. So please help us by filling those cards out and passing them toward the center aisles. They'll be picked up by our young men uh, later in the service before they go to blast. Uh, we have some good news. Uh, last Sunday, Jackson Davis was baptized into Christ, and we welcome Jackson. Jackson, if you would, stand up. There you go. Thank you. So let's uh, continue to pray for Jackson and his, his walk with Christ. Also, uh, other good news this week, uh, we got a card this morning from Cameron Williams. He and his wife, Kristen, are wishing to place membership with us. Uh, Y'all can stand, and their daughter, uh, Jody Lynn. So we welcome, welcome the Williams to West Irwin. I think uh, a group of our young people left this morning for, uh, for camp in Oklahoma, so we're a little light over here on this side, but, but uh, they will be having a worship service this morning. Also, uh, Roy uh, Frawley was uh, admitted to the hospital this past week. Uh, I think he's scheduled to go home today. I'm not sure about that, but uh, need to remember Roy in our prayers. Also... Uh, Oh, this, this uh, Wednesday night, our guest speaker for our summer series will be uh, our homegrown boy, uh, Brother Lockhart. So we'll uh, remember uh, Wednesday night to come hear him and our, our service. So I think that's all I was going to mention. Bill's got a few announcements later in the service. So let's begin with prayer. Father, uh, we're thankful to you for, for West Irwin. It's such a good place to worship and a good uh, bunch of people to, to worship with. Father, we're thankful for our, our staff, for our leadership, and for each and every member that we have here. We're thankful for those that uh, have uh, recently placed membership with us. We're thankful for the Williams, and we're thankful for uh, Jackson Davis's uh, decision to, to put Christ on in baptism last Sunday. Father, we, uh, we realize that there are many things that are going on in the world today that, that test our, our faith. We realize uh, things in, in the government, things uh, through the, out the world with wars going on and with disease. And Father, we pray that we will uh, always look to you for our faith and for our guidance. Father, uh, we know through scripture that you've always promised to take care of your people and that you have a plan for those that obey you and, and call you their God. Father, we call you our God today and we ask for your, your guidance in our lives. We know that many are, are struggling with, uh, with worldly problems, with daily life problems, with um, physical and and emotional issues in their in their life, uh, with financial issues, with strains on on budgets from the inflation. Father, we know that many uh, people are struggling with their marriages and have marital issues. We we pray that you will be with them and that they will always look to you for for answers and for guidance and for direction in their lives. Father. Uh, Help us to place you first and to, to have no other gods before you, gods of any type, gods that take away from, from our dedication and our, our 
devotion to you. Father, help us to uh, always remember that, that you are the only true and, and living God and that you can see your people through whatever issues are, are coming up in their lives. Father, we ask that you would be with our young people as they travel this morning, uh, be with them while they're away at camp, and bring them home safely. Father, be with those that are, are sick and those that are bereaved and those that have recently uh, had deaths in their family. We pray that you will comfort them and, and strengthen them. Father, we ask that you would increase our faith and our trust in you and to forgive us when we fail you and, and sin against you. Father, for we love you and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. We're thankful for uh, the great sacrifice that you made of, of your only son for our behalf. Father, we pray that we will always remember that and we will let that um, be the focal point of our lives each day that we uh, go to school or we work or we're just out and about that people will know that we're Christians by the life that we lead. Father, we ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be standing for our first song. Come, let us all unite to sing, God is love. Let heaven earth his praises free, God is love. Let every soul run sin away, each in his heart sweet music play. And sing with us for God, he reigns from heaven above. 
Good morning. In uh, Matthew 4, verse 4, we see the devil has come to tempt Jesus right before he begins his ministry. And one of the things that he tempted him with was Jesus was very hungry. And the devil knew this because Jesus had been fasting. And so the devil tempted him with food, basically. It was the weakness of Jesus' body because he, he hadn't been eating. Satan knew that Jesus needed food and that he was in bad physical condition. And he thought that this temptation would cause, he could trick Jesus into sinning. And so Jesus' reply to the devil's temptation was captured in Matthew 4.4. 4, Man shall not live by bread alone. And this was a reference that harkens back to the Old Testament, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And to set the stage for that, just remind you that this was Moses addressing the Israelites after they had been wandering all this time in the wilderness. And part of the problem that the Israelites had back then was they needed food. They didn't have food and so they had asked God to help them because they were starving out there in the wilderness. And God gave them manna, which was bread from heaven. And so this is, uh, this is Moses reminding the Israelites what God had done for them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord God promised an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to take, we're going to say a prayer, and we're going to take this bread. This bread and the fruit of the vine are symbolic. They're emblems to capture what Jesus and what God were talking about in both these linked passages. And that is a pretty simple message, but this is why we do this. And that is this, that our bodies, God knows he made us. God made us to need food and to need drink. We can't live without those things. But what he was telling us is even more important than the food that we eat and the drink that we drink for our lives is God's word for our spiritual nourishment. We have to have that. If we don't have spiritual nourishment, we will suffer and we will die. It's just that simple. So if you will, go with me and we'll pray for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll strengthen us. Strengthen us today with your word that you've given us. Strengthen Bill as he breaks the bread of life and that we'll receive it and that all things today will be done to to glorify you as well as strengthen us for your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About a month ago, there's been a lot of bad things recently that have happened, but this was something that happened that was personally, um, it, it, it affected me. But I'm not here to talk to you about that. What I'm here to talk to you about is why it's important, why it's important to you and the rest of the world. On uh, About a month ago... A gunman came into the Laguna Woods Church where a uh, worship was being held, luncheon was being held to welcome a, a preacher that had returned from Taiwan, been doing gospel work there. And a man who was angry at this, who was a Chinese national citizen, showed up to the church, drove from Las Vegas all the way to California, and he secured the door so that people couldn't get out, and he brought a bunch of guns. And his plan was he wanted to massacre everybody in the church. He wanted to wipe them out because he hated them. He hated what they stood for. He didn't just hate them because um, Taiwan, he considers that to be part of China, but he hated them in addition to that because they were Christians. And what China represents is godless society, and what those people represent represented and re- represented on that day was faithful Christian um, service and, and faithful Christian lives. And he hated both of those things, the gunman did. So he showed up with the intent to wipe them all out. But what, what he didn't know was Dr. John Chang was going to be there. And I grew up with... Uh, John and Marshall, and um, he's a couple of grades ahead of me in school, so we weren't really close, close friends, but we were friends. He was only a few months older than me, but uh, he was the kind of person that there's only a few of these people that ever walked the face of the earth, I promise you. He had no enemies. Everyone liked him. He was a good, faithful Christian man. He was a very, very smart guy. He was a doctor. And uh, what impressed me most about John was he was a kung fu black belt. 
and he had achieved that status while in high school. The guy was legendary, and we all thought he, like, he was our Bruce Lee for you younger guys, Jackie Chan, you know. Uh, we thought he was the most powerful human that ever walked the face of the earth because he could do all these amazing martial arts techniques, and he demonstrated, one time he demonstrated that at a talent show to Van Halen's song Jump, and that, that I wish someone had video of that because it was so awesome. But uh, John was a great, great guy, and I kind of lost touch with him after he left. You know, people graduate from high school, and they go on, and they live their lives. And he was in California. I was in Texas. But I was fortunate enough to reach out to him uh, and talk with him on Facebook about a year and a half ago. And I was blessed at that time to have been able to tell him, although it wasn't face-to-face or, you know, with my own voice, but it was digitally, I just reached out to him and let him know how much I respected him and thought, you know, had looked up to him when we were growing up and how good of a man I knew he was. And I'm so happy that I had that opportunity because what happened when the gunman showed up was he began to shoot at the people in the congregation and John, without any hesitation, charged that gunman and he knocked him down, he took him out causing the the weapon that he had to jam and become uh, inoperable. And on his way to taking this gunman down, John was shot and killed. He didn't die instantly, but eventually died. But that allowed the other people in the congregation to subdue this gunman and uh, take him down. And the only person that died that day was John. And naturally, the media attention of what happened that day was all upon how, how John died. Uh, and, and, you know, they all called him a hero, which obviously was. They all talked about his sacrifice, and there was a number of uh, references to John fifteen thirteen, the obvious verse connection that people would make. Greater love hath no man that he would lay down his life for his friends. Certainly that's what John did that day. John's mother was in attendance. He sacrificed himself for someone he knew and loved, but also for people he didn't really know and love because he didn't normally worship at that congregation. He was there for his mother to take her to that meeting. And he gave his life that day to save everybody else in that church. And that's the easy connection to make here today is to talk about sacrifice because John was a believer John loved Jesus. He believed that Jesus was real and that Jesus died for the forgiveness of his sins, your sins, and my sins. So that's an easy connection to make with communion. It's the obvious connection. But it only tells half the story, and the other half of the story is this, that very few people have ever died the heroic death that John died, sacrificing themselves to save others. There's been a number of people who have, but it's not a long list compared to everybody who's ever lived. But I'm going to tell you this. Even fewer have lived the kind of life that John lived. And why I came today to talk about this was to let you know, to share with you, the power wasn't just in the sacrifice that John made. And the reason why I'm here to talk about this is I want you to understand the power was in what he did with his life, how he impacted others. His story wasn't just about his death. It was about how he lived. And so I want to honor him, honor his sacrifice, and honor his life and the example that he provided for all of us. He followed Jesus' example to the letter, and he gave his life for his friends. And that sums up Christianity as cleanly, as perfectly as you can summarize it. A man who believed and lived his beliefs. And so, I'll bring that up today just to focus our thoughts about what Jesus was about, what he's calling us to do, what he asked. He doesn't ask for everybody to, to give their lives in the sacrifice in the sense that you face down a gunman in that situation, but he calls us to give our lives in a sacrifice and how we think, how we treat each other, how we live 
together. That's the sacrifice that Jesus wants, more so than any dramatic, grand act that is incredibly good, but most of us won't face that. The most important things we do are how we love each other, how we use our time. If you will, let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived and died and his blood was shed on our behalf so it could cleanse us, so that we could come before you and have the opportunity to have a relationship with you and that you would forgive our sins. We're mindful of Jesus' sacrifice, and as we take this fruit of the vine, we ask that you would bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Supper is concluded, and now the leaders of the church have set this time aside to collect funds for the work of the church. Will you go with me in prayer to bless us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us. We thank you for um, our ability to work and earn a living, our health, our families, our friends, our church. Pray that you would take these funds that are given and that they would be used to further your kingdom in the best way possible. We thank you uh, for your son, Jesus, and everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and invite our kids up for kids' time today. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. You know, we're talking about the Ten Commandments on Sunday mornings after you go to blast. And one of those commandments is to put God first. To have no other God in our lives but God. And you know what? God is so big, isn't he? How big is God? Who, who wants to tell me how big God is? How is he? That big. Okay, that's pretty big. Anybody else? How big is God? That big. Okay, we've got a big, big God. Okay, and up high too. I see. So wide and up high. That's right. You know, we sing a song, right? My God is so big. And you might have sung that song recently, but let's sing that song right now. Okay, are you ready? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the trees are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. That's right. God is so big and no matter what happens, there's nothing that he can't do. And there's nothing that is too big for our big God. And that's why we put our God first. Okay, let's go to blast or back to your seats. And some of you might even be collecting some cards along the way.
let's all make, let's all make sure that we pass those cards into the, into the aisles for the kids to pick those up as they're leaving out for us. Uh, some of us, have, do we have to get back into that same routine again of filling those cards out and going from there? So, if you would please, let's be standing with our, with our song before Bill gets up here and leads us in another phenomenal sermon and talking about God and, and how, how strong and how mighty he is, which is why I just wanted to sing this song about how great our God is. The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness strives to hide, it trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. song just before this message today, and we'll continue it with the second commandment next Sunday as well, both dealing with the greatness of our God and how worthy He is of our worship. We have a lot going on uh, in our church family, as always. Again, welcome to those who are watching online. Welcome to all who are here. Uh, welcome to our new brother, Jackson. Welcome to our new family that have been visiting with us. Uh, so glad to have Cameron and Kristen and Jody Lynn with us as a part of us and so many others that we appreciate and love. And uh, what a blessing it is to meet together uh, today. We have a singing class this evening at five uh, across the parking lot. We have a chapel class here uh, in the chapel at 5 p.m. also. We have our Wednesday night summer series. Our brother Davey Carter got us off to just an incredible start this past Wednesday night. And I hope if you haven't, weren't able to be here, I would encourage you to watch that video on our live stream site in our archives because it was a, a wonderful, wonderful message. We are excited to have Spencer Lockhart Shaw here on uh, uh, Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Spencer's got a lot of Lockhart blood in him, and uh, I know Jay brought that out as well, Jay Bynum, and we are indebted, of course, uh, to his grandparents and to his parents also, uh, and his sister and his whole family, his brother-in-law, and that wonderful little blessing of Azariah. What a, what a blessing that family is to us. And I can tell you, you will love hearing the story of Ruth and our risk takers putting your faith on the line this Wednesday night as our brother Spencer Shaw shares with us. That will be a great thing. I'm glad to be able to announce today that uh, in September, on September 24th and 25th, 
Uh, Owen and Lauren Mitchell will be here, and they will be hosting a Reconnect Marriage Seminar. You'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, in the future, in the next uh, month or so. And that'll happen on September 24th and 25th, Reconnect uh, Marriage Seminar uh, with Owen and Lauren Mitchell. And we're super excited that that has been confirmed, and we're very grateful uh, for the work that they will do here uh, with us. Of course, there are so many others that are uh, recovering from the loss of loved ones, that are recovering from surgeries, uh, disease that are uh, looking ahead to surgeries even uh, this week. And so we appreciate the opportunity to pray uh, for one another. Let's bow for just a moment. Father, we are grateful to you. How great is our God. Lord, we pray for this church family and for this community and for this nation and for this world. It is your world. And we know, Father, that you are the great God, that you are the creator and the sustainer, and that you are the eternal Lord and the eternal judge. So, Father, as we continue to worship you and to live faithfully to you each day, we ask your blessing. And as we consider these great commandments today and next Sunday, on our wonderful, great God who demands us to worship you and you only. And in return, Father, that there is nothing, nothing that can come that you are not big enough to handle. We are so grateful, Father, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared this quote last week. I don't know if you remember it or not, but uh, here it is. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary named blank their word of the year. You didn't know you were going to be tested. So all of you that weren't here last Sunday and haven't listened uh, to the sermon yet, well, you're not off the hook because you weren't here last Sunday and you haven't listened to the sermon yet. So you're still in trouble. Uh, but for those who were here, do you remember what I shared or what would you put in that blank? Even if it's not the one that the Oxford Dictionary came up to a few years ago. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary named post-truth their word of the year. Post-truth. This is from a book by Sarah Barrett, who came, the book came out uh, in April of this year, Stand Up, Stand Strong. And this article is about that book. She writes, according to their definition, post-truth is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. A post-truth environment exists when people are directed by subjective feelings rather than objective facts. A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. Truth becomes personal. All truths, in other words, opinions, are equally valid and feelings have the upper hand. What's true for you doesn't have to be true for me is the mantra of the post-truth age. That's the age that we apparently are living in and are seeking to minister in. Objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So while I feel how I personally believe, is more important and significant than what is true, what is right. I appreciate this quote. A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. You see, truth cannot cease to exist. <laughs> it is the truth. The question is, how much does it matter? How important is it to me? How important is it to our community? How important is it to our nation? How important is it to our church? A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. There's another, uh, there are so many examples in today's world that, that we could use to talk about this. Um, 
And I'd like to share one today. This is from an article that, I, uh, that came out just this week on Yahoo. And uh, the article is entitled this, What is LGBTQIA+. The acronym for the queer community keeps evolving. And as I read this, this is by an author who is sympathetic to that community and to that cause. He writes, Once upon a time, four letters were commonly used to describe the queer community as a whole. L for lesbian, G for gay, B for bisexual, and T for trans or transsexual, creating an acronym LGBT. But that was then. And this is now. As new terminologies, identities, and experiences appear in the cultural climate, the acronym has since picked up a few more letters. Q for queer and or questioning. I for intersex. A for asexual. Creating the now widely used acronym, according to the article, LGBTQIA+. With that plus on the end, that meant to cover anyone who feels their queer identity was not otherwise represented. That is the world in which we live. That is not the world that God created. That is not his vision. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. As we consider those things, we ask a question last week. And we ask it again today. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? Does the Bible acknowledge what I just read to be the truth? Or does it speak to it at all? Does Jesus speak to it? Does the New Testament speak to it? And interestingly enough, one of the things that's being said in our community and environment today is that, yes, the Old Testament condemned homosexuality and, um, what is it, LGBTQIA+. But Jesus never did. That's what's being said. Jesus never condemned homosexuality. We call it by other names, gay, lesbian, uh, queer, trans, whatever it might be now. Scripture calls it homosexuality. And the more general term is sexual immorality. And we'll speak more about that later on in this series when we get to that particular commandment. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes. We spoke about it a little bit in our class in relation to Galatians 3, acknowledging that the, new, the uh, Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament, and we get that. But that doesn't mean that they're invalid, and it doesn't mean that they're not uh, affirmed in the New Testament. And as we'll see uh, when we get to the one on the Sabbath, there are some things about that that are still very much applicable and commanded today, but not the Sabbath. That'll be a fun lesson. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? The answer is yes. Yes. The first commandment is the greatest commandment stated negatively. The first commandment. You remember that first commandment, right? Jesus has it in uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and it's written in several places, including Mark chapter 12. The commandment is, uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is, according to Jesus, the greatest commandment when he was asked about it. And it stems, it's a different way of saying this one. This first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 3, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus states that positively by saying, love the Lord And as we'll see, put him first. That's what loving him means. In the Old Testament from Moses in the Ten Commandments, the very first one in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, states it negatively, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Well, what does that mean? I want us to share a little bit about what that means today. Commandment number one can be put this way. Put God first. Put God first. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? (laughs) Sounds simple. Until we begin to delve into his word and all of a sudden his word isn't quite consistent with our wants. Our feelings, perhaps, are what we think. And so the question is, which will win out? Which will be first? The God that is revealed in Scripture by his inspired word? Or the God that we see when we look in the mirror? Which one will be First, our God is an awesome God. Tom Clark's favorite song. So glad we sang it today. And so the question, as we go through this series and each of the Ten Commandments, we're going to face them with a question series, the Ten Questions. And this first one is simply this, who is your God? Who is your God? As our shepherd Jay announced and shared and prayed, we confess today here that God is our God. The Lord is our God. And so we must ask ourselves, okay, does my life reflect that? Are those just words? A few things about what no other God means. Number one, no other gods means obedience. No other gods means obedience. First of all, it means, no, it means obedience. It means I will obey the one who I recognize as God and the one who I put first in my life. And so we can turn it around and say, how do I know who my God is? Well, it is the one that I obey. <laughs> That's who is my God. That's who calls the shots. In my life, put God first. No other gods means obedience. And Jesus speaks a lot about that. There are a lot of scripture passages on your outline today, on the outline online. And you can look at those, and we won't read them, but I'll refer to them, including this one from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't say there, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, but everyone who is true to their feelings, they will. Everyone who lives by their truth, They will. That's not what Jesus says at all. But rather, it's the one who will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Felt so strongly about that that in Luke chapter 9, he said, If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. That that horrible, horrible thing created by man to punish criminals and to take life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's a whole lot different than be true to yourself. Be true to your feelings. Be faithful to your truth. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. And you cannot find that anywhere in the teaching of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. In fact, in John chapter 14, within one paragraph, he states very clearly three times, the one who loves me is the one who is obedient to my command. And so some would say in our culture, well, Jesus doesn't condemn homosexuality. He never did. Never says specifically, thou shalt not do that. Oh, no? Really? Because when they come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and they ask him, so is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason? Jesus goes back to Genesis. Jesus goes back to creation. Jesus goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. And he says, no, don't you know that that's not the way it's been from the beginning? That's not God's vision for humanity. Because you see, in the beginning, God created them what? Male and female. That's it. Male and female. Now, within those two sexes, there are all kinds of variations and personalities and types and characteristics and all of that. Certainly true. 
But when God creates, he creates male and female. And so he looks to this creation that he has made, and he says, therefore, a man, male, will leave his wife, female, and will cleave to her. A man will leave his father and mother, rather, and will cleave to his wife, and they, too, will be one flesh. That was that way in Genesis in creation. It's been that way in the law of Moses. It was that way through the prophets. It was that way very clearly stated in the pages of the New Testament. And it was that way for Jesus. Is it that way for us in the midst of a culture that doesn't recognize that? Can we be faithful to loving our neighbor as ourselves? Because yes, all of those in that community are our neighbors. And we love them. Because Jesus loved us. And we treat them with respect and consideration and compassion, but we tell them the truth. And we live by it ourselves. Put God first. Who is your God? No other gods means obedience. And obedience means discipleship. Obedience means discipleship. I will follow him. I will learn from him. I'm a learner. That's the word disciple. Obedience means discipleship. Who is your God? It is the one you obey. Not the one that you say, although that's good to confess. Your God is the one you obey. No other gods means obedience. Secondly, no other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. I'm sorry I didn't calculate the minutes part of that, but y'all can do that. No other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 proclaims. It is no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we live. That's what that marvelous story that Chris shared around the table about his friend who gave his life, that before he even gave his life, he lived the life. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to live the life, to put God first. And having no other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. It means offering your life to God as a living sacrifice every hour, every day, every year. Romans 12 says to be a living sacrifice. Who is your God? Your God is the one you serve. Not the one you say you serve. Your God is the God you serve. No other gods means obedience. No other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. And then number three today, no other gods means putting God first. You are Lord of creation, Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the sea. You were Lord of the heavens before there was time. And Lord of all lords, you will be. No other gods means putting God first. First, Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. And he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or despise the one and be faithful to the other. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in you fill in the blank. Putting God first is what no other gods means. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness He said in Matthew 6, verse 33, and everything else will fall into place. No other gods means putting God first. Putting God first condemns idolatry. It condemns idolatry. We'll speak a little bit more about this next week. But idolatry is worshiping and serving something as God that is not God. And you say, boy, I'm glad we don't worship those idols like they did in the Old Testament times. Oh, we have our idols. They don't look like that. They're not nailed down so that they won't topple. (laughs) But we have our idols. You could come up with some. Money, as Jesus had just said, is one. The things that money can buy, that can become our idol. We can put that first as our God. Our jobs can become that. 
Our families can become that. We can use our families in such a way that they actually come before God in our lives. Culture, certainly as we've seen already, this is Pride Month. (laughs) And so you're seeing it on every (laughs) uh, emoji or whatever. You're seeing, seeing it on every commercial. You're seeing it in every business. Not every, that's an overstatement, Bill, but enough. Pride Month. Pride in sinning. Pride in going against the word of God so that you can be faithful to your truth. It's nothing to be proud about. It's something Jesus died to save us from. Perhaps the one idol that we worship and serve is the one I mentioned earlier, and that is self. That's the one that you see when you look in the mirror. And when we put that person before God, because we want to do what that person wants, we want to live according to that person's truth, we've actually accepted that post-truth lifestyle because now truth is relative. Truth is based on my situation, my feelings, my wants, my desires. I am now on the throne of my heart. I am now my God. Who is your God. No other gods means putting God first. No other gods, it means put, it condemns idolatry. Who is your God? It's the one you follow. Your God is the one you follow. Whoever that is, that's your God. We bow down and we worship you, Lord. Lord of all lords, you will be. Who is your God? It is the one you follow. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the basis for all the other commandments. (laughs) And if you're not faithful in this commandment, if you're not willing to let God be your God and put him first in your life, you will have a hard time with the other commandments to follow. (laughs) I'm not going to say you might as well not even read them because maybe that'll do you some good. But I can tell you, you're not going to follow them unless you follow this one. Unless God is your God, it's not going to matter what commandments he has. Where they're consistent with your truth, you'll follow. Where they're not, you'll choose yourself over the living God who created you, who died for you. But if you get this one, if you are truly putting God first in your life, you will be faithful in the others no matter what the sacrifice is. If you get this one. Why is this so important, Bill? Because we care. We care about our families and we care about our children and we care about each other. We care about the Abels. We care about the Chandlers. We care about the Vincents. We care about the Monahans care about the Williams. We care about the Mosleys. We care about the Taylors. We care about the Alvies. We care about our families, our children. We want them to make God their God. And that's hard right now. And they need our help right now. The first commandment calls us to worship the true God. The second commandment calls us to not sell the true God short. I'm really looking forward to next week. That's the one about don't make any graven image, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Old King James. The question next week is, see, now you're going to know. You, you got it ahead. How big is your God? Today's question is, who is your God? Next week, maybe you say, okay, the Lord is my God. And so next week, the question is going to be, how big is he? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Is that the God you serve? Because he's there. And that is the truth. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the basis for all the other commandments. What in my life is the biggest challenge to God for my time and service? What is it that keeps getting in my way of serving and following and obeying and living the will 
and word of God. Because whatever that is, that's what's doing this to try to take over God's spot. Who is your God? The great news of the gospel is if we truly want to put him first to make the living Lord our God, there is nothing that Satan or anyone or anything else can do to keep that from happening. Even the nature of our community and our country today, Bill, absolutely, absolutely, there is absolutely nothing that anybody, any friend, any uh, authority, any government, any media, any, anything can do to keep us from having the living Lord be our God if that's what we want. Nothing. And if that's what you want today, for the living Lord to be your God. And we can help you make that happen. Come as we stand. Sing our song together. Take time to be holy. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us and everything that you've done for us. Father, we thank you so much for giving us time and a place to come together and to worship you and to just spend this time on focusing on purely you, no work, no concerns outside of this place, only focused on you. Father, I pray that as we go out into our daily lives the rest of this week and before we come together again next week, I pray that you would help us to focus on you and purely you, just like we do here. Father, I thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for your sins. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.